So this week I met with my student whom I've tutored for a couple of years and I helped her work through an assignment about growth mindset versus fixed mindset. And it's been rattling around in my brain ever since. So I brought it up for us to talk about. I think the term growth mindset has kind of become a buzzword, especially in education. I heard it over and over and again. But I also think it's genuinely critical in the way that we live our lives. So the concept of growth mindset came from Carol Dweck, who is a psychologist at Stanford University. Early in Dr. Dweck's career, she was interested in how people cope with failures. She wanted to see how children would handle hard situations, so she gave young children puzzles with differing levels of difficulty. And she found that mindset matters. Children with a fixed mindset were content to complete the same easy puzzles repeatedly. They believed that they were not skilled enough to move to the next level of difficulty. Children with a growth mindset, however, were excited for the challenge of a more difficult puzzle. Even when they couldn't solve a puzzle easily, they pushed themselves to keep going. When children with a growth mindset were struggling, they did not believe they were failing. Instead, they believed they were learning. A fixed mindset is the belief that our abilities are innate and don't change much over time that the hand of cards we are born with won't change very much. It's the belief that we are born with labels that are static, like that some people are born gifted and others are not. On the other hand, a growth mindset is the belief that our abilities can be nurtured and developed over time. It's the idea that if we engage and practice and persist with something, that we can build skills and improve. A growth mindset is the belief that if we put effort into the process of learning and practicing something, that we can get better, that where we are today is not where we have to stay. Often, people are not necessarily all that aware of their own mindset, but mindset can be very apparent in behavior, especially in our reactions to failure. When our perspective comes from a fixed mindset, we often try to avoid challenging tasks altogether. And when we fail, we feel inadequate. We believe that if we have to exert effort and if things are difficult for us, that it is our shortcoming. A fixed mindset makes it so that we give up easily when we fail. When we come at something with a growth mindset, we are much more likely to embrace challenges and maintain effort when things get hard. We believe we can get better, so we are motivated to keep trying. We watched a TED Talk together, and the speaker is Luna Leverett, and she expanded on Dr. Dweck's ideas with instructions on how to work toward a growth mindset, which I think is very valuable. We know what a growth mindset is versus a fixed mindset, but how do we get there? And so she gave us three tips. One of them is you have to remove labels like I'm not good at math, I'm too talkative, I'm not crafty, or even labels that we might think are positives like, I'm a genius. Instead, she said we should all be human learners. The second thing that we should do is find a good teacher. And we need that teacher to help us shut up that inner critic. And we also need to accept that failure is part of the process. We all make mistakes and failure is just feedback for how to do things differently next time. We need to be patient, we need to be humble, and we need to learn to laugh at ourselves, which I think is also very important. She pointed out that a good teacher may not even be somebody in person. It could be a YouTube video, um, and there's lots of instructional videos out there. The third, she said, is be persistent. And she talked about playing guitar, which made me feel a little bit called out because I've been working on playing guitar for years but I always get frustrated and I always kind of quit at the level that I'm at. I might gain a little bit, but not a lot because I feel like my fingers just can't move to make the chords very well. She said that we should celebrate our efforts and that is a big thing about the growth mindset. So even if I don't master all of the chord changes, I should celebrate the little bit of of growth that I have gained from that practice. Another example that she gave was uh, wanting to be a published writer. 
And she said, you have to accept that you're going to hear a hundred no's before you hear a yes. And so we have to persist, persist, persist. Uh, but we have to try and try again in different ways. Repeating the same process is not going to get us very far. We need to ask for help, which means being humble. And we need to be not afraid to necessarily ask someone who is younger than us because they may have an entirely different viewpoint on how something works that we never even considered before. When you have a growth mindset, it isn't going to catapult you into success, but it will move you closer to your goals. And it also doesn't just help you, it helps other people. So it's it's that ripple effect that we've talked about several times. But the biggest thing that I took away from this was, and I'm going to put this on a sticky note and I'm going to put it on my computer screen, and that is the growth word of yet. So if you say something like, I can't play guitar, but you add the word yet on the end of it, it changes the statement and the thought process completely. Also, she added some late bloomers as examples just to show that, you know, this doesn't just apply to high school kids or younger kids. People who are very famous that she talked about who were in their 30s and 40s before they achieved the level of success that we are, uh, that we know them for are like Stan Lee, Vera Wang, Alan Rickman, and Laura Ingalls Wilder. So as a psychologist, I am very familiar with Carol Dweck's work on growth mindset. I have read her book called Mindset, which I highly recommend. And I have listened to many really inspiring talks about mindset. Uh, but as I was preparing for this podcast this week, growth mindset has been more top of mind for me. And just over the past couple of days, I've noticed people saying things from a fixed mindset. And I'll share a couple of things people have said to me. Someone said, I am not someone who is good at interviews. Someone else said, I think I would really like to cook, but I can't boil water. I heard the classic, I can't draw. I was at back to school night this week with my daughter, Annie, and one of the parents said to me, I was never any good at school. I don't think I was meant to be a student. And one of my friends said, I can never say what I want to say at my doctor's appointments. I just can't talk to doctors. So I believe that most people want to believe in potential and believe that we can grow and change over time. But fixed mindsets can really sneak up on us and they can affect all of us sometimes. And just today I was confronted with a fixed mindset I have myself. So this morning, I went downstairs to make myself a cup of coffee, and I found that my oldest daughter had pulled a book from our bookshelves called Basic and Exotic Braids Made Easy that was published in 1985. And she had been practicing hairstyles on a mannequin that my hairstylist had given her years ago. The mannequin was the best gift ever. By the way, thank you, Madison Hornsby. So grateful. Um, the funny thing was I had this book as a child and I looked through it and I even found some notes in my own handwriting that I had made in the margins. And to be honest, I don't really ever remember being, being all that interested in hairstyles and doing hair. And over time, I certainly lost interest in doing that. Now my hairstyle is what I call reliable. I do the same thing with my hair every day. And I have developed a belief that I don't know how to do hair. I I have, over time, I've come to the belief that I just, I don't know how to braid. I don't know how to style hair. And I don't often style my daughter's hair. Uh, but when I saw Annie's mannequin and the beautiful braid she'd been practicing, it was kind of a gut punch. I realized that I think I don't know how to do hair, but I just haven't practiced. I love to do things with my hands. Like my handwriting is very careful and conscientious, thanks to my third grade teacher, Mrs. Riddle. 
Um, and I love to make friendship bracelets with my daughter and her friends and make all kinds of handicrafts. Um, I could learn to do hair if I wanted, but I came to the belief that I don't know how to do hair because I have not engaged with the task. I just haven't practiced. I can see that in myself too. I, <laughs> I have two daughters and one more on the way and my oldest daughter is very good at doing braids, but it's not something I ever learned. And I've tried to watch some YouTube videos and I've gotten frustrated. I'm just like, I'll just let my daughter do it. <laughs> so that's very, very relatable to me. For me, I'd like to think that I have a growth mindset and I think that I generally do, but it's not in every situation. I can think of many examples of myself saying, I can't do this, or this is the end, or I'm not good enough. That's just the way it is. Um, I have a funny example. Um, a couple of years ago, I took my husband on a very challenging ropes course for his birthday. And I am not a risk taker, especially when it comes to physical things. I'll take lots of risks creatively and, you know, in things that are not actually dangerous. But if it could possibly be dangerous, I don't do roller coasters. I ask my husband to drive slowly on all these mountain passes and I am not skydiving anytime soon. My husband, however, he loves adrenaline rush kind of thing. So occasionally I try to push myself outside of his, out of my comfort zone for his sake. So we were on this medium level course. We didn't even start on the low level. We started on the medium. And I was crossing this tightrope. Now, keep in mind, you're in a harness. You have a helmet on. If you fall, you're falling like three inches. <laughs> but we're crossing this tightrope, and there were boards that were spaced, and they're pretty far apart, and that's what you're supposed to step on. In the middle of the obstacle, I was just too scared to keep going. And so I... I just couldn't make myself reach my leg out far enough to the next board. And I stood there and I, I was crying, <laughs> but I was also laughing at myself because I knew that I was being ridiculous. This was a controlled air quotes, dangerous situation. I, I was not actually going to be injured, but it was still very scary to me, scary to me. And I said to my husband, I can't go on. I just can't. This is where I live now. <laughs> And my poor husband, he was on the other side and he was trying and with saintly patience was he was trying to coax me across. But I, I just couldn't do it. I couldn't force myself to do it. I was literally fixed in place. However, there was another group of people who came up behind me and they were waiting for their turn to cross. So I am I'm stuck. I have to do something. So because of the peer pressure, <laughs> I was able to muster up the courage to keep going, but those women were close behind me the rest of the way. So it didn't matter what the obstacle was or how scared I was. I had to just keep going because they were waiting. <laughs> I was going to hold them up if I didn't go. Um, and as I was thinking about this and I talked about this with my student and it, it is funny, but it is also a really great metaphor for lacking the confidence to overcome obstacles. And like the lady on the video said, labels. These were literal obstacles for me. I was literally trying to get across there. And I had labeled myself as someone who is not brave, someone who is not athletic. But I forced myself to do it. I made it through it all. And I didn't take any of the shortcuts. And there were some that you could get out of the course. I just needed that push. And so... That's what I'm here to do as a career coach, and that's to give a gentle push with a lot of encouragement and coaching along the way to help you reach your foot out to that next step that feels like it is miles away. It's also important to note, though, that even though my husband was there telling me that I could do it, and he is the person I trust the most in the world, I had to be the one to make myself keep going. He could not do it for me. Hi, I'm Sylvia. And this is Leslie. This is Carpe Vitae, a podcast in which we meet cool people to learn about their careers and the journeys they took to get to where they are now. 
We will also talk to experts to help you learn and grow in your career expedition. We hope that this podcast will inspire you to find your own version of an extraordinary life. My name is Leslie Stelges Nansen. I am a clinical psychologist, and this is my career odyssey. So since I was a teenager, I have had a deep knowing that I wanted to be a psychologist. And looking back, a lot of my early exposure to the field came from reading books. I have always been a voracious reader, and I stumbled across some books in high school that were written by therapists. Um, One of them was called Reviving Ophelia by Mary Pfeiffer, who is a psychologist from Nebraska. And I was just really fascinated by what I read. So I was also very fortunate because my high school had an AP psychology program, and I took my first psychology class my junior year of high school with some of my very best friends, and I had a really positive experience. I had a lot of fun. I really enjoyed the reading and the writing. We did some really neat projects that I remember, and really that high school class was much more formative to my career path than I realized at the time. But at that time, one other thing I knew was that I wanted to live in the Pacific Northwest. So when it was time for me to apply for college, I applied for to only one university, which was the University of Puget Sound. So thank goodness I was admitted. And I packed up my bags and moved from the middle of Kansas to Tacoma, Washington. The University of Puget Sound has a really strong psychology program. I had great faculty. The experience I had academically was very research heavy. So most of my training was in research methods and I worked in a research lab. There was a lab that studied bumblebees and I was involved in that work. We looked at bumblebee brains and neuroanatomy and we also looked at bumblebee behavior. It was really fascinating stuff. So I was doing the research thing, um, but at the time I had a classmate named Brad and he was doing work in the substance abuse field. And he encouraged me to apply for a job at a clinic in Hilltop, Tacoma, and I did. And so when I was in college, early in my college years, I started working clinically. And I still remember the first time I sat with somebody in a therapy room. And that moment was really, really, really special to me. And I knew at that time that I wanted to do clinical work for for the rest of my career. So I drilled down deep and I uh, pursued training in the substance abuse field and I had several different jobs. I worked in assessments and I did a lot of group work. Pretty much everything I did was court ordered treatment. I worked in an inpatient hospital, Um, but I found that I was doing the most sacred work. People were letting me walk through life with them at some of their most vulnerable moments. And they were being honest with me and sharing parts of their stories that were true and painful. And I had so much respect for the people I was working with. And it became extremely important to me as a person that I pursue as much education as I possibly could. So I started looking for graduate programs in Washington, D.C., and I was admitted to the George Washington University Professional Psychology Program. And I completed my doctoral training there. And I had a really, really strong graduate program. I had great training and great faculty. And while I was in graduate school, I had an enormous range of clinical experiences. It was a demanding time, but I also learned a lot. I was in clinics all over Washington, D.C. and Virginia. I did work with testing and group therapy. I worked with children and adolescents. I did a lot of work with adults. I worked in community mental health centers and private practices. And I spent a year in a hospital where I spent a lot of time in the ER and the ICU and I rounded medical floors and did a, I, I really had a lot of different experiences, but I knew that home base for me was working with adults. So I graduated with my doctoral degree and started doing some postdoc training, 
but quickly I started my own private practice. So I started solo private practice from scratch and I had a lot of success. It was a really, really special time and a really special experience. I really enjoyed the work. Um, I enjoyed parts of the work that really surprised me even, including some of the business development pieces and the freedom I had to focus on improving access to mental health care. It was, it was really a good experience. And I worked through COVID um, and some challenging times in world history, really. And I started to become really reflective. And I was thinking about ways to be creative with my career. And um, I was, yeah, I was in a really reflective state. And one of my colleagues, who is a very, very important person in my life, a very dear friend of mine, a very trusted colleague, um, her name is Stephanie McGraw. So Stephanie approached me and shared that she wanted to start a group practice with me. Um, and it took a little convincing um, because I was initially resistant to the idea just because I knew it would be a lot of work and I knew it would be very challenging to do. But Stephanie and I talked and we created a really share, a, a deep shared vision of something that was really special to both of us. So we started collaborating and we built a practice that is called Aspen Grove Wellness, which is what I'm doing now. And Aspen Grove Wellness is really, really exciting for me. I am enjoying a new phase of my career where I am learning and growing and pushing the bounds of my own creativity every day. Um, but I, you know, I have done many different things and I'm in a place where I'm learning things uh all over again. So I'm in a really exciting stage. And one of the things I really love about being a psychologist is that there are a lot of options within the field. There are a lot of different uh, paths that a psychologist can take, and I have enjoyed taking many of them. Today's guest is Leslie Stelges Nansen. She is a clinical psychologist with Aspen Grove Wellness. Leslie and I have been friends since our junior year in high school, which you might have heard from our first podcast, um, and we had a lot of great adventures together as juniors in high school, all the way through where we are today. Our career journeys took us in much different directions, despite starting in the same spot, but we have had the great joy, at least to me, to come back together at Aspen Grove. So Leslie, can you share with us what kind of education and experience is needed for someone in your position? Sure. So there are a lot of different ways to get where I am. I chose to get my Doctor of Psychology degree or the PsyD degree. Um, and I chose to do that for many reasons, but you can become a therapist through many different avenues. Uh, so the, a big reason that I chose to pursue doctoral training is that I have always been a natural student. I really enjoy schooling and I've had great teachers and great experiences. I just generally value education and really like to be a learner. So, so part of why I chose to pursue my doctoral degree was just so I could maximize my educational experience. But there are also a lot of other ways to become a therapist. And I often encourage people who are considering working in the mental health field to look at a range of different options, including master's level training programs. There are ways to become a licensed professional counselor and social workers have great training, um, and really they can become therapists and do the same kind of work that I do every day. And those options can be a great route to becoming a clinician. And the benefits of the master's level programs are they have less barriers to entry. They're especially they're less expensive and time intensive, which can be really beneficial as people consider the best path for their own career in their own personal life, the path to becoming a mental health clinician or a therapist truly depends on someone's own interests and their own path. I think there are a lot of ways to get where I, where I am. Um, and it really kind of depends on how you want to do that. It's interesting to know that you can be a therapist on many different levels, anywhere from being a social worker all the way up to getting your PhD or your PsyD. Can you tell us about any kind of internships that were required for you to become a psychologist? 
during your graduate training, there are requirements and exposures to doing kind of externships and practicums. And that's a chance for most people to explore and have a wide variety of experiences. It's a really great way to get exposure to clinical work and have supervision and guidance from master level clinicians. Um, So while I was in graduate school, I worked in many different treatment settings. I, some of the things I did was I worked in a community mental health clinic. Um, I did some neuropsychological testing. I did some forensic work at the DC Superior Court. I did some group work. I co-facilitated a women's group and uh, another general process group. Um, And I also worked with a lot of different populations at that time, uh, which was great because I had a lot of different exposures Um, So I worked with children and adolescents. um, And of course, my personal interest is working with adults in outpatient psychotherapy. So I was able to get a lot of uh, practice with that as well. But psychologists who pursue PhD or PsyD training have to complete an internship, um, which is a formal training year um, where they go and they really work as a psychologist with training and supervision. It's a really neat year. Um, And I went to the Salina Regional Health Center in my hometown of Kansas, uh, and I had the best training there. I worked with an incredible supervisor named Jeremy Morris, and um, I was able to do a bunch of different work in that environment, some of which was very new to me. And I really enjoyed some of the things that I did more than I expected. Did a lot of crisis intervention work, worked That's where I worked in an ER and an ICU. I did a lot of work in the actual hospital at the Salina Regional Health Center. And it was really, it was a really uh, great year. Really set me up to be comfortable seeing a lot of different things in my own uh, professional life. Very selfishly, I was really glad that you did your internship at the Salina Salina Regional Health Center because I was in Uh Salina at the same time. So I was very glad to um, have you back close by for that. Yeah, (laughs) that was a really special year for me. It really let me go back and see a lot of friends that I hadn't seen for a long time. And it was a good year of training, but personally, it was also really fun to, you know, be back in the Midwest for a period and go back to some of my old haunts. And it was, it was, that was a really good year. It's always good for a brief period. (laughs) (laughs) What does an average day look like for you? I am still working as a psychotherapist. So I have therapy appointments every day of the week. Uh, I spend most of my time doing that. That's my primary task throughout a week. But I also have time dedicated to supervise and learn with clinicians who work for Aspen Grove. We have a postdoctoral fellowship program. um, And so I do training and supervision with that. Probably one of the most important parts of my week is that I meet with a team of psychologists for a consultation group which is something I deeply value. And and that's just a time for me and my colleagues to gather together and support each other and think together about the work we're doing. Also, because I have been building Aspen Grove Wellness, which is a group practice that started um, in January of 2022, I also spend a lot of time completing all of the tasks that are required for running a business and managing a psychology practice. And those kinds of things are quite demanding in my time and energy as well. So that's more, you know, kind of administrative and paperwork-oriented tasks. But as I've grown in my career, I've really started to value my own creative process. And I'm starting to spend more time and trying to be more intentional about carving out space in my calendar to give myself freedom to be more creative and to think about things I want to build in the future. I also really enjoy writing, so I'm hoping to make more time for that over the next couple years. So yeah, I I, I spend a lot of my time doing therapy, but I also do a lot of different things throughout, throughout a day. That's really good. And as a career coach, I'm really glad to hear that you are trying to work on a little bit of work-life balance. Um, and then as a creative and as a writer, I... I like to hear that those are things that you're doing as well. That's really exciting. Um, What career changes have you experienced in this journey, a long journey I know that you've had, and how have they evolved you as a person and as someone in your position? 
there are some things about my career that have stayed remarkably the same. And there are some things that are remarkably different than what I expected when I started. You know, for almost 20 years, I've had pretty much the same tasks of doing therapy. I spend my days sitting across from someone and listening to them, trying to understand their story. I work really hard to alleviate suffering and help people make meaning of their life and find freedom to be who they want to be. So that that has stayed very much the same. Um, that's been very consistent. There have been some big shifts, some of which were very surprising to me. Um, you know, when I was beginning my career in mental health, I never would have imagined the shift to telehealth. Um, and I started providing telehealth services a couple of years, even before the pandemic started, because that worked best for me personally. Um, but I had never imagined that I would be a virtual provider. Um, I also have found that I really like doing virtual work. I find that it can deepen a therapeutic relationship and I find that people are often much more comfortable in their own space and their own environment. And it's awfully nice to have the convenience of virtual appointments. So I value that a lot. Um, and one kind of quirky thing is that I really like doing virtual work because it also reduces my carbon footprint. And that is very important to me. Uh, which truly is one of the biggest reasons why I want to continue to be a virtual provider, something. I think it's a wonderful, a wonderful reason and not quirky at all. I think it's fabulous. <laughs> yeah. Um, Reducing our carbon footprint should be a lot of people's goals. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, but that's, that's, that's really important to me. So when I started, I really like doing the work really imagine myself as being a therapist for most of my career, but mostly because I like doing direct clinical work. That's something that I feel very passionate about. But as my career has advanced, my roles have really evolved and I spend a lot more time teaching and training and supervising than I expected. And I now am in a position of more leadership than I think I had imagined that I would be when I was young. Um, and that's been a big evolution for me. So I spend a lot of my time now learning about leadership and management. And I really want to cultivate a practice that supports people and helps clinicians thrive. So I am really dedicated to spending time learning how to be a good leader as well. I think that's a, a really noble cause. I think having strong, supportive leaders is something that a lot of things, a lot of companies, a lot of fields are missing and lacking. And so um, working toward that is a really noble goal because it makes everybody's life easier. Also, I want to give you a shout out about doing the telehealth. Um, as someone who has taken advantage of telehealth, both as like a medical doctor and also for therapy, it really does help someone to feel more comfortable in talking to someone if you're in your own house. And, you know, I think one of the hurdles for people to seek therapy or mental health care is even just leaving their home or going to an office where it feels maybe sterile or impersonal. Mm -hmm. But if they get to do it from their own home in their own environment and need to pet their cat while they're talking to their therapist, yeah. Um, I think it makes it a lot more accessible and yeah, so I'm very, very grateful for the, for the option of telehealth in whatever form that, that finds someone. One of my favorite questions that I'm finding on our, <laughs> on our interview here is this one, which is, did you Leslie ever imagine that you would be doing this podcast? Never in a million years. <laughs> even a month ago, or maybe maybe two months, we've been working on it for yeah. a while. But um, even you know, I I had no idea. I, I am a very open-minded person, and I can get into a swirl of ideas that is you know a really magical place for me. So I have had lots of ideas, but none of them ever included a podcast. Um, I, I just, I really had no vision of doing a, any kind of podcast or really even having any social media presence. So um, it wasn't until Sylvia that I started dreaming and scheming with you that this came to life. Um, but I am really excited about it. 
uh, one thing I will share is that my entire life, I have wanted to write a book version of this podcast. Mm -hmm. So even when I was a little kid, I wanted to write the stories of how people got into really cool jobs. For instance, when I was a kid, I saw the Ad Astra sculpture as it was being made. The uh, bronze sculpturist who built it was named Richard Bergen. And the sculpture actually sat on my street a couple times. And I, you know, was fascinated by the fact that there was a bronze sculpturist in my neighborhood who was making this really amazing piece of art that was going to sit on top of the Kansas State Capitol. It was just very interesting to me. And I just I just wanted to sit down with Richard Bergen and say, tell me, tell me how you got to be a bronze sculpturist. How did, what is the story? What, you know, what, what were your early experiences to this kind of work? And I, I would think that whenever I saw somebody that was really interesting to me, I would just want to sit down with them and ask them a million questions. I really wanted to understand their story. This podcast is actually really meaningful to me because I have always been fascinated by, um, the individual stories behind people's jobs. But, you know, I'll also say that this podcast is meaningful to me for another reason, and that's that it puts me in touch with the risks that creative people take whenever they put something out into the world. That's a very new process for me. A lot of the work I've done has been very private and very, you know, I, I think I, uh, you know, have very private personal conversations all day. And the idea of having conversations that I put out into the world is a very new experience for me. Um, and it's deepening my appreciation of the vulnerability that comes from being a creative person. When I brought up the idea of doing the podcast and the concept behind it, I loved that your eyes lit up. And you were like, this is what I've been wanting to do in a book form all these years. So that was really fun that that came together in that way. <laughs> um, but yeah, you're absolutely right about the creativity part that, you know, it's risky to put yourself out there and it's risky to put your brainchild out there, this thing that you've conceived yes. and spent time and love and energy and blood, sweat and tears on. And now suddenly it belongs to the world. <laughs> yep. Yep. Absolutely. And it's like, it's like the, that saying that um, when you, you write something and then you let it go, it's not yours anymore because whoever listens to it, they listen to it through their, their worldview and their life experience. And so it, it becomes theirs and not yours anymore. So yeah, yep. it's a very powerful thing to do that. <laughs> it, is, it, it is very powerful yeah. and scary, but powerful. Um <laughs> I've had a lot of theories about the podcast, but um, <laughs> I am also really excited to be doing it. And I'm really trying to push myself to be open to, you know, putting myself out in the world in a way that I haven't done before. Only fabulous things will come of it because your voice is one that other people need to hear as well. So I'm excited for that. Can you tell us about any challenges that you've had to overcome as a psychologist? we have collectively gone through the same challenge together all around the world, but I will say it's been a challenge of a lifetime to be a therapist over the past couple of years. You know, I've been a therapist in the room looking people eye to eye as they've gone through some very, very hard experiences throughout the COVID-19 pandemic and socio-political events that have uh, proceeded and followed that. You know, I have seen up close and personal the ways in which uh, the pandemic has deeply affected people. And that's been hard. It's been very hard to see the amount of mental health care need that is present. And, um, you know, it's been hard because I think we've all gone through a really difficult experience together and there's more mental health need than ever before. And, and I've seen a lot of different things. I've been with people when, you know, two people in the family are laid off from jobs in the same week. And I've seen a lot of relationship struggles and, you know, and, you know, I've seen the enormous burdens that people have had to endure. Um, so being up close and personal to that in a therapy room is, you know, it's, it's really been moving and inspiring, but also challenging as well. This, this brings something to mind that I just saw online. And one of 
my very favorite people. I know that you appreciate her very much as well. Debbie Wagner. Uh She's an amazing, amazing, amazing person and fabulous, fabulous, fabulous artist. If you don't know her story, she paints the sunrise every morning and people request the sunrise from her for a variety of things, happy and sad. Maybe Uh it's their wedding morning or it's the birth of their child, but a lot of times it's a loss of someone. And she recently painted a painting of herself carrying the sun on her back. Oh, and yeah, you'll have to look it up. Yeah, you'll have to look look it up. up. But when you were talking about, you know, you, you hear all these people's stories and that must be very heavy for you. Um, that just that reminded me very strongly of that image that that Debbie put out into the world. Wow, that's <laughs> of really herself cool. holding the sun on her back. So yeah. yeah, I can only imagine hearing the people's stories because I know that it affects her very deeply too. So anybody who um, you know has has an empathetic spirit who who is here to help people in some way or another, I think does carry some of that burden. So I. Ad- I admire that the ability of people to do that. I'd like to think I do some of that as well. <laughs> My work is not quite as heavy, but uh, oh, I there, do. There are a lot of ways that people have therapeutic experiences, and it can be with a clinical psychologist. It can be looking at beautiful art. It can be, you know, hearing inspiring music. There are a lot of different ways that people can have therapeutic there's yeah. there are a lot of different ways for therapeutic value to be added to the world. Yeah, and I can see that, you know, in myself as a musician, obviously music is a big deal to me. But even just like now that I've moved to Colorado, going out into nature and just having that amazing experience of like the mountains and the the feeling small beside it all, but also feeling like how amazing that experience is. So Can you tell us how your career aligns with your personal values? That's a good question. Um, Kind of a funny question to me in some ways. Um, But I've always been a really value-centered person. And from a young age, I've had some pretty strong core values that really have not changed very much. Um, I deeply value human rights and I try to be very intentional about respecting everyone's humanity in the work that I do every day. Um, When I was a freshman in college, my university, the University of Puget Sound, had a dorm floor that was dedicated to social justice. And I applied for that and I lived in the so- on the social justice dorm floor my freshman year. Um, and that, that spirit still lives in me. Um, And I think being a psychologist has given me an opportunity to live my values and serve people in ways that are very meaningful to me. Um, And I've spent a lot of my career focused on serving underserved populations. And, you know, I'll also say my North Star really is kindness. And that is something I learned when I was in college, too. I, I had a little class assignment once about values and identifying my own value system. And I was just going through a dictionary and I read a definition of kindness that was tenderness for humanity. And I was very moved by that definition. And I still feel very connected to those words right now. And I consider kindness as a guiding light for me. Um, but I try to bring that into the work I do every day as well. I think those are so important, those kindness and compassion and looking out for some of the underserved populations. Like that's, that's huge. And I think that that makes a massive impact on, you know, it's that butterfly effect that, that goes on until, you know, you, you show kindness to someone who doesn't normally get kindness and then they're affected and they want to show kindness. And so I think that's a, a very noble pursuit. And I think we should all <laughs> subscribe to those a little bit more. <laughs> yeah. Can you tell us about some of the hidden benefits of your career? I get a front row seat to people's lives. People come in and they share their truest stories with me. I listen to unvarnished and authentic stories all day long. And it is impossible for me to say how much I respect the process of therapy and how much I respect my patients who share those stories with me. 
Um, but because people come to me with their truths, my understanding of the world has deepened a lot. I have learned a lot about friendship and parenting and marriage and fears and jobs and all kinds of things that, uh, you know, have really deepened my understanding of humanity, myself, the world around me. Um, and I've, you know, really learned that we're all in this life together. There's, you know, we all, we're all real life human beings with real life families and real life marriages and real life jobs. And, you know, we're, you know, no one can escape the challenges of being a human being and no one has a linear path to just about anything. So that's helped me be more compassionate and understanding in so many ways. Um, but I am grateful every day for the stories that people have shared with me. So as someone who has been a patient in therapy before, I know that it can be very, very scary to open up and tell the stories of your life that are that are painful, that are confusing, that just need to be heard. And I'm I'm really glad that there are people like Leslie out there hearing these stories and and letting people have these cathartic experiences because it, for me, you know, being able to talk it out, be able to write it out, those kinds of things. I always encourage people to do that, to do that. So to have a trained professional on the other end listening, mm -hmm. um, it's very encouraging to know that you guys are out there. <laughs> yeah. Can you tell me what is your favorite part of your job? Absolutely. So I love people. Human beings are my favorite thing. I think people are fun and fascinating and interesting and really cool. So I love being able to talk to people as a profession. I love to be around people and I love to connect and I love to meet new people and learn new things about people. Um, so that's, I mean, really my favorite part of my job is that I get to be around people uh, all day long. Um, I, I also believe that we heal through connection and that we heal through relationship. Um, and I think we all need to have strong connections with important people in our lives. So I am, uh, someone who really values relationship and it's, it's very, uh, it's very meaningful to me that I get to form deep and honest and long lasting relationships with people in the career that I have. It's uh, something I uh, really appreciate. Yeah, I totally agree that healing happens through positive, strong relationships. Um, and to have that with your therapist, I think would be a huge, I don't know, a building block of someone's self-esteem and someone's belief in themselves. So on the, the opposite side, what is your least favorite part of your job? Very good question. Uh, and I have a very strong answer. Hands down, my least favorite part of the job, um, the thing that I dislike every single day is that there is an incredible mismatch with need um, and mental health resources. Uh, I start my morning and I end my day with phone calls and emails from people who are seeking mental health care. And there, you know, it's just not enough service to go around right now. Um, and that's that's really been challenging for me. I know it's challenging for people who are looking for therapists sometimes, but it's also, it, you know, I, I was listening to someone and they were saying that there's a, they were calling the mental health need right now, a tsunami. And I see that every day. And that that's been hard. I personally have experienced, you know, a six month wait to get into a therapist. Um, I recently saw online someone asking for a specific kind of therapist, um, you know, somebody who is not religious or something like that. And I just know that on the other side, it's very difficult to get in with anybody right now, just because I like the idea of a the tsunami that, you know, not that I like it, <laughs> but the image is appropriate um, that, you know, everybody is experiencing some kind of hardship right now. And I, I wonder, Leslie, do you think that is because of things like COVID and the things that we've experienced of that? Or do you think it's because people are more in tune with themselves and more accepting of therapy in general? 
Oh, I don't know if I entirely know, but um, I mean, I think there, I think those are both factors. I think that um, I, I've seen both of those things for sure throughout my career. Um, like I said earlier, we've gone through a huge collective struggle over the past couple of years. People all around the world have been in uh, struggle together. And, you know, that, that struggle has lasted for a really long time. So I think people are depleted and tired and, you know, they, they're, they're, they've been required to go through an enormous amount of hurdles on a daily basis for a long, long time. So I think that's part of it, but absolutely. I mean, I think therapy is becoming something that is valued and um, appreciated more and more, which is great. That's a really, really wonderful thing. I think mental health care is essential to a healthy world. And I'm, I, I have seen a shift in my career about valuing that, which is very inspiring. And I'm very, very hopeful. I've even seen workplaces offering so many sessions available to people. That's part of your wellness package. Yeah. Um, and I know EAP services. Yeah. Yeah. And they, that didn't used to be offered. So it's very encouraging to me to see that, that people are seeking mental health uh, support and that places of employment are making it more available for people. Um, I guess we just need to make some more therapists. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I'm working on it. I'm working I on that it. every day. Yeah. I love it. Well, Leslie, thank you so much for joining me today on Carpe Vitae. I have learned a lot about being a psychologist and what it took to get there that I certainly had no idea about before. And I learned more about you, my friend. And so thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much for joining us today on Carpe Vitae. You can find us on your favorite podcast provider platform. Please help support us by sharing, rating, and leaving a comment for this podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you won't miss an episode. If you have suggestions for guests, please contact me at sylvia.arpkey at youraspengrove.com. Thanks so much to the hugely talented Amos Vega for creating our theme song. Make sure to join us next week for our guest Blake Kramer, who started out life as a student struggling with undiagnosed dyslexia, but overcame the odds to become a very successful attorney. Thank you.